Hello and welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. My name is Melanie Boylan and I'm here today with Lorna Martin. Um, Lorna, could you tell us um, exactly who you are and where you work and what we, and we'll then discuss what we're going to go through today. Hi Melanie, delighted to join you today. My name is Lorna Martin. I'm Head of Technology at Fidelity Investments in Ireland. Um, so essentially I lead the technology organisation for Fidelity in Ireland, which is about a 900 associates, mainly engineers uh, based in Galway and Dublin. And this is exactly why we wanted to speak to you today, because you are a thought leader in your sector um, and you're, you're instrumental in making a huge amount of changes um, for women in the sector. So as a woman in tech for almost 30 years, what are some of the key changes you've seen and why does that drive your advocacy for greater female participation in technology? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Melanie. And, you know, I think there's been, if I go back to my, you know, 17, 18 year old self going into the university, I see both progressive and regressive changes. So, you know, if you go back to the early 90s, the industry was relatively new. Everyone was very excited. You know, career guidance teachers in schools, they didn't know very much about careers in tech, tech, but they actually talked about them a lot as something really exciting and new. And, you know, today we're surrounded by, we're tech enabled in everything we do every day. And some of that, you know, maybe excitement has gone out of it in terms of promoting promoting careers, even though they're probably some of the richest careers that, that, that you can have. Um, in, in this day and age. You know, similarly, you know, when I when I went into university, you know, classes were very much gender balanced, you know, so I didn't really have any appreciation that there were fewer women in, in technology. And I don't know if that's down to it being new, you know, relatively new or, you know, or otherwise. But today we, we look at the, we have a totally opposite situation in terms of, you know, maybe 10% uh, female participation in computer science classes, you know, which is really, which is really challenging, particularly given the opportunities. And then, you know, if you think about, I suppose, the, the, the office space and actually the career itself, you know, it was, we were still, you know, working in tech in quite traditional organizations. And, you know, I always hark back and think about, you know, men went to work in suits and you had to wear a skirt. I remember for my first, mm. my first job, I joined um, Bank of Ireland as part of their graduate program. And it was the early years of that. And again, it was gender balanced. There were seven males and seven females. And I still have that photograph and I show it to people every now and again, because they don't believe the story that I'm telling because they just haven't seen it in you know 10 or that's just amazing years. it really is yeah and it's you know it's nice to have proof of it as well <laughs> um and and i you know the one of the main reasons that you know i'm so focused on advocacy and i'm drawn to lots of other people who are really focused on greater participation in in, in tech you know specifically being a female, I'm going to advocate for females, but you know, there are other areas that I'm very interested in as well in terms of, you know, looking at different kind of channels, different di different profiles in terms of looking at, you know, neurodiversity or, you know, returners into the, into the industry. But the main reason for advocacy is, you know, I want to ensure that there's balanced opportunities, balanced participation, and that we continue to see, you know, strong female leaders come through the industry at all levels because I think that's valuable for all not just for the women but for the entire population um, and I think there's lots of men who would absolutely agree with me as well. 
No, and I, I completely agree with you as well. I do believe it's mindset um, that's changed as much as anything else. I know I'm raising two young girls now and, you know, I'm, I'm saying anything is possible. Whereas, you know, back when we were younger, I, I don't think yeah. our parents could say that. Well, it's, it's interesting because I would always cite my mother as probably my biggest role model in terms of getting into a career in tech. And it's not that she particularly understood it or understood the opportunities, but, you know, and maybe it was just that she was really busy because, you know, as a mother of six children, five boys, one girl, you know, her, her viewpoint was, you know, any of us could be what we wanted to be. And she would encourage us to do, you know, to, to really pursue what interested us, um, you know, and it's, it, it's a little bit sad at times when I think about maybe how homogenous Irish society in particular was as a child as I grew up. You know, there weren't any people who are very different to me out there. Um, and yet today we have such a rich, you know, diverse society, but we're still not failing. We're failing to capture and represent that diversity in our organizations in tech. So there's a lot for us to do. I mean, and advocacy is, is is vital to get that to get that message out there and really encourage, you know, that we will have organizations that represent the communities that we live in and we work in. Mm. No, no, I completely agree. Now, most companies now cite greater inclusion as a strategic target. Yeah. So what deliberate steps are required to, to match this, this target? Yeah, and I can, you know, I think it's only in the last number of years we've specifically started talking about inclusion. There was a lot of discussion about diversity probably in the earlier days. And if you if you speak to a lot of organizations who are maybe just starting off on this path, they talk a lot about they talk a lot about diversity and don't necessarily talk enough about inclusion. But I suppose there's a couple of deliberate steps that I would see. So first of all, you know, you can't just talk the talk, you have to walk the walk because you know. People work that out pretty quickly if, you know, you say all the right things, but you're not actually doing the things that reinforce what you're saying. Um, the second thing that I would say is it absolutely needs to come from the top of the organization. So there's no point in kind of nibbling around the edges or, you know, it's very difficult for a bunch of associates in an organization to really influence major scale change unless there's not that, unless there's that support from the top of the organization. And, you know, working at Fidelity, we're really fortunate, you know, just in terms of that is embedded right in strategy at the top of the organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't work at Fidelity if you're not interested in, in, in ensuring that, you know, that there is that focus on inclusion. Um, similarly, it needs to be really visible. So, you know, it may kind of sound a little bit clinical, but there does need to be investment and there needs to be targets. And, you know, I think you have to think about metrics. And, you know, I always struggle a lot with, you know, with, with the idea of quotas. And I know a lot of other women do. And I remember when I was first introduced to the, you know, the, the concept of the 30% club, you know, in terms of participation on boards, I really kind of struggled with, you know, because I do believe you know, regardless, you should always hire the best person for the job. But I've come to the, to the viewpoint that if you don't have a target in terms of getting the pipeline balanced, you're never actually going to achieve balance. So you actually have to really think very explicitly around, you know, what are those targets and what are the metrics that you're using to track to ensure that what you're doing is effective and mm. what the organization is doing is effective. Um, you know, the other cause is just in terms of your culture needs to reinforce your strategy. 
So, you know, I, I, if I, if I think about, you know, really achieving, you know, and every company is on, is on this mission. I know, don't think anyone could say, you know, we've got it perfect. And, you know, our organization is, is totally inclusive and reflective of society, but, you know, you have to ensure that the culture actually attracts a diverse population in order to have an inclusive organization. And that's down to, you know, everything from every practice and process you have in place mm. needs to actually support that goal. Um, you know, and if, 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 it, if that's not the case, you may certainly, you know, a, a, attract a much more diverse um, employee population, but you won't retain them. And you know, that's, that's why it's vital for it to be really embedded. Mm. And then I would say the final thing is, you know, education is key. So, you know, understanding biases and looking at how do you eliminate those biases in your process? And we're all human beings, mm. you know, we're all wired in certain ways with certain preferences. And, you know, many of us are, are aware of our conscious biases, but I think anyone who's ever gone through unconscious bias training uh, will be shocked by, you know, just some of the things that you automatically are programmed to think or your experiences taught you to think. And I think an investment in that kind of education is really important. You know, another area of investment in education that, um, you know, I found personally really helpful is at Fidelity, we have a whole uh, group of employee resource group or ERGs as, as you'll often hear them referred to yeah. and that's representing every facet of our employee population and that's everything from you know are you from an Asian background are, do you affiliate with pride you know um, uh, you know a whole variety of areas and I think that's been a great opportunity for for me personally to be educated in terms of walking a little bit in somebody else's shoes because I haven't come from I that cultural background or I don't necessarily have that orientation mm. but that does not mean that I cannot ally with those points of view and you know everything is even things as simple as understanding the culture of you know, you know where your employees grew up right you know no more than we have specific culture in Ireland you know Two weeks ago, I went to um, our associate Diwali event, right? And I've been to many Diwali events over the years, but every time you learn a little bit new, there's something new and you get to appreciate a little bit more why that's something that's really valuable to, you know, the associates that, you know, that, that would, would align with our Asian ERG, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a couple of really kind of key steps in terms of how you think about strategy and how you you know ensure that that inclusion is central to to your strategic intent as an organization so that would be amongst your sort of mission and vision and and, and neither of them are terrible well, any of them actually uh, aren't terribly hard or expensive to implement either no they're not and i think it's more about you know really ensuring that somebody comes to work every day or whether they're working at home or whether they're working in the office that they feel like they belong mm. and they also feel that they're understood and they're supported yeah. and you know there's loads of research out there that speaks to you know, the value well, Maslow's of the hierarchy is one of the first ones Absolutely. a sense of belonging you know, yeah. A sense of belonging, you know, a sense of psychological safety, right? You yeah. know, so, you know, if, if um, I remember when, when, when our Pride ERG was launched a good number of years ago and, you know, I thought I was pretty clued in, you know, I mean, but I'm telling you, I, I, I learned more in the course of that hour of that first launch event. I didn't realize actually how ignorant I was. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it wasn't that I was necessarily, that I would necessarily do anything wrong in terms of how I'd interact in my day-to-day behavior, but I just didn't necessarily understand, you know, all of the facets and all of the, you know, the terminology and, you know, what you, how you need to behave and, you know, you know, the the kind of language you need to do to ensure that someone actually feels comfortable engaging Mm. with you. You know, it's... But that's the unbiased training as well, isn't it? Pardon? That's the unbiased training as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. 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 And I think, you know, we, we learn something new every day. And mm. I think you have to be open to, you know, you have to be open to continuing to learn. I think if you think you've got it cracked, you know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you probably need to <laughs> need to withdraw and retire and, and, uh, and do something else, you know. Now, um, I just wanted to ask, you know, we're both parents um, and, you know, parents, teachers and, and other influencers, people who advise children about careers in technology, um, what kind of key messages would you like to hear them share? Yeah, well, I'm not a parent actually, uh, Melody, oh. but I have like I have twelve nieces and nephews, so sometimes I, I remember, feel like I remember it, you mentioned it, your family. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It, it certainly cost me as much, certainly this time of the year, as it I can does imagine. to be a parent. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I think there's a couple of there's, there's a couple of key messages that I would love, you know, parents and other influencers, you know, teachers and, you know, even children to children, right, mm. to, to reinforce. And, you know, they're ones that, you know, some of them hark back to, 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 to my own childhood. You know, as I said, my mother was a great influence on me. And, you know, she, when, when, when we went out to do exams, she'd always kind of say, do your best that's all you can do it was never you know sort of comparing or contrasting one of us against each other so I think you know a couple of messages that I would love parents to reinforce and the first one really is kind of you know be what you want to be right you know and I think there's so much pressure on children these days uh, much more than when I was when I was in school and growing up but you know I think it's really important that you and this comes from you know experience and from speaking to lots of people that you choose a career that really interests you that gives you a little bit of joy every day that excites you but also that aligns with your skills and your aspirations yeah. so i love parents to actually encourage their children to you know think about what they want to be you know and we'd often ask the question what do you want to be when you grow up and it, it changes as you as you get older but you know i think there's always a danger in terms of parents you know trying to live through their children vicariously and that actually puts pressure Mm. so you know that's the first thing I would say be what you want to be the second thing I would say is you know encourage them to always think about being open-minded and you know tech and STEM careers are they're really exciting like if you go and talk to any four or five year old it's amazing what they know about immunology since COVID-19 and I bet (laughs) you know I've seen more pictures of you know of you know of of the COVID-19 you know um the the, you know the the, the biological facts associated with it it's amazing you know what what Mm. children actually can absorb but I think you know the parents need to be open-minded need to encourage their children to be open-minded um you know, because it would be great if parents kind of said, you know, that's really interesting. Do we know anyone who's, you know, who does that or knows more about that mm-hmm. and start seeking out some of those role models? And, and they're out there. And, um, you know, the third thing that I would say is, you know, please don't reinforce the stereotypes. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes, particularly around, you know, technologists, you know, that were sort of geeky, that we all work on our own. We sit in the corner in the dark, wearing a hoodie with headphones on, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and if you see, you know, if you, see, you see it reinforced all the time in TV and movies, yeah. you know, 
are always kind of a little bit left field, right? And really, you know, if you go and meet our associates, they're all very normal, balanced people, you know, really interesting, you know, doing really interesting things. And it's amazing as we see the kids come in, you know, our, you know, even in the last couple of weeks, we've launched our, our virtual our virtual work experience program, Room to STEM. You know, kids are so excited when they actually meet the role models and they go like, I never thought I could do that. You know, so I would really say, you know, don't reinforce the stereotypes because particularly, you know, particularly in girls, when they get to that 11 or 12 years of age, they come up a lot of, against a lot of peer pressure, particularly, mm. you know, if they've enjoyed things like code or dojo and they're thinking about, you know, I want to be a scientist or an engineer or a technologist. Um, you know, a, a very, you know, a careless word from a parent or someone who is really important or influential can turn them right off that career and close close that door down. And I think that's that's absolutely tragic. Mm. And, you know, the final thing I would say is, you know, I think parents should always encourage children to try lots of things. Yes. You know, so, you know, you, you, you can't beat it, you know, until you try it. <laughs> and there are great programs out there. You know, everything from, as I mentioned, Coder Dojo mm. to, you know, um, junior achievement in schools there's there's tons of programs that happen through schools communities and even the universities and you know i would always say encourage them to go and try lots of things um, because after school stuff as well isn't there you know after school clubs and there's even ones in primary school primary school does um anyone for science that's really good absolutely and even you know even stuff like going to the local science fair you know Mm. so it's amazing, you know, I, I, I always think, you know, as part of our CSR program, we, 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 we sponsor and um, we sponsor the local Galway Science Fair. And I, I always call it the toughest gig of the year because, you know, you, you meet kids, everything from like the two and three year olds who are really only interested in can I get the three, you know, colored pencils and then the pad. But, but, you know, you're, you're still influencing them because you're bringing them into that world and, you know, never underestimate the impact that might have down the line. So you're you know, making it normal even, for them, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Just even bringing your kids to that yeah. kind of just to be open minded about it. You know, I think they're they're probably some of the key messages that I would love parents to to take on board. And I think that would really kind of it would help them. It would educate them. It would help their children. And I think, you know, it would really help us as an industry as well. Mm. you know these are all excellent points um and it's very much leading on to my next question (laughs) now you have mentioned paying it forward um as as industry leaders how do you influence the influencers as well as the potential future technologists yeah and i mean paying it forward is really important to me personally um, you know, I've been really fortunate that I've had lots of, you know, I've had lots of sponsors, advocates, coaches in the course of my career. So, you know, from a personal point of view, it really resonates. But it's also the cornerstone of, you know, of our inclusion program here at Fidelity. Um, you know, so in terms of influencing the influencers, you know, there, there, are, there are many things that, 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 that we focus on. And, you know, I think personally, every time I engage in a coaching relationship with somebody you know within fidelity or otherwise they the, the one thing i always ask them is to go and say you know we've had great conversation we've learned lots i've learned lots from you and vice versa but you know can you please go and kind of take up the baton and go and you know work with somebody else mm. and you know i think we have to create that chain of 
you know, of support and advocacy. You know, there's 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 no point in just kind of maintaining the small group who consistently are out there if you don't influence others to go out and actually, you know, add real value. Because you know, quite often, as I say, when when I work with others, you know, they have experiences that I don't have. And if you can kind of collectively add that on, it kind of enriches my opportunity going forward and their opportunity going forward. Hmm. Um, but you know. From 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 an advocacy perspective in the industry, you know, I've talked a little bit about role models already. I think that's probably one of the strongest ways that you can actually influence all of the stakeholders. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to see it to believe it, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I it's amazing. You know, amazing in terms of some of the conversations I've had with people who don't believe that you know you have to be a, a, a maths genius to have a career in, in 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 technology. You know, and then they come and they meet. You know. Know, some of our role models who's you know pursued their primary career in things like you know fine arts or music and you know it's well known the connection between music and mathematics right you know there's so many transferable skills so I think just educating on on that as well and then I think you know working with kind of the broad spectrum of industry partners to kind of help them bring that message forward because again I think you know there's no individual or no company who's going to be able to kind of do all of that paid forward work on its own Um, so you know we create a variety of you know alliances in terms of influence the influencers you know so thinking about it as a systematic end-to-end program. So we start all the way back, as I say, in the primary schools, right through to the universities, right through beyond that. So, you know, tapping into, tapping in and influencing new groups. So think about second career people. Think about, you know, um, groups like in Ireland, huge amount of focus on apprenticeships now. Right. Mm. You know, different ways of learning. Think about, you know, the underutilized groups. So like the differently abled and the neurodiverse, they're underemployed, but they're hugely skilled and educated and Mm. bring, you know, an immense amount of value into your organizational culture. So deliberately connecting there in order to pay it forward, because they then become your role models that actually it's a self-perpetuating cycle. And, you know, I would say, you know, that's really kind of it. So have good partners, you know, look at partnerships in education, you know, look at what you do very deliberately in terms of in office, in community, um, in terms of the alliances that you make from a sponsorship perspective. Look at those new channels in terms of how do you influence that and and continue that cycle of paid forward. And, you know, at each step, deliberately thinking about who the key stakeholders are so that your messaging is very much directed at the audience that you're trying to influence. You know, you can't just do a scattergun effect and hope that it's going to take, that it's going to, that it's going to Mm. hit all the right targets. And back to, you know, back to the strategy piece of it, you know, measure it, refine it over time, you know, and it, it might sound quite deliberate, but I think, you know, in order to get anything or achieve any movement in life, you have to continue to iterate and learn, measure, sense detect and change and you know if every person in tech in ireland you know could actually influence a small number of other stakeholders i think we would have so much greater health in terms of our pipelines for technology careers into the future 
Yeah, and as as many people have already stipulated, a lot of the jobs in tech haven't actually been created yet. So it's, it's, it's getting people ready for it, isn't it? Well, absolutely. It, it really is. I mean, if I think about the, you know, the, the, the career opportunities in tech when I started out, they're night and day from where they are today. And also, you know, technology is embedded in every single industry globally it's you know it's it's one of the careers that really has been hugely resilient in in the most recent pandemic right and hopefully when we're all in a situation to to travel again it's those skills are transferable they're portable you can work anywhere in the world um you know and you don't have to recertify every time you land in a new country which is not the, not true for lots of other careers you know so i think it's important to kind of you know, show that there is a big, big, broad horizon out there. And it's not back to the stereotype of the guy in the corner with the hoodie and the headphones. <laughs> you leave me with that vision from, from our talk today. <laughs> um, so just, just one last question. Okay. And it's, it's a great way to end up because it's a bit predictive. So this year has been a real game changer in how we live and work due to the global pandemic, of course. So what changes do you see emerging over the coming years and what impact are they likely to have on technology, careers and inclusion? I hope you can remember all of that. Yeah, and you know what, it's it's probably a topic that everyone has been thinking, we're all trying to predict the future, and I'm sure we'll all be wrong. Um, but maybe what I, what, what, what I will share is, you know, maybe a couple of areas where I think, you know, we've, we've actually, over the last eight months, leapfrogged in progress, you know, mm. so dramatically, you know, some of the change that companies have implemented just because they've had to implement. Um, you know, we probably would be years and years and years down the line to, to get where we are today. So I think we, first of all, we need to take advantage of what we've learned in terms of framing and forming the future. Mm. So there's a couple of kind of dimensions that I think about here. So the first is really the workplace, right? You know, so we're all in a different workplace than we were eight months ago, or the vast majority, not everyone necessarily goes to a place of work, but, you know, I think the future is distributed, right? Um, so if you think about, you know, real estate and bricks and mortar buildings and, you know, the, 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 the daily commute to the office, right? Mm. You know, that is that has changed and I think that's going to sustain over time and it's going to continue to evolve in terms of what distributive working looks like. And I think we're all kind of on a learning curve there, but, you know, the, the days of, of headquarters filled, you know, wall to wall with desking i think that is is going to disappear and it's already disappearing you know i think that the office will become more of a destination for very specific activities as opposed to a destination to go and and, and sit at a desk um and i think that balance you know with you know flexibility but also i think quality of life you know it's probably not been great quality of life in a pandemic but if you take the pandemic situation out of it um you know the amount of the amount of hours of commute time that i personally saved by working from home if i was to go and bring that forward and say okay you know i go to the office for specific activities or for specific reasons but i work from home on other days think about the influence not just on your your wellness having that maybe taking that time to do something that's positive for you personally we but could even be more the, productive as well <laughs> productive, but, but even you know even even the impacts on the environment 
from now, all of us not being in cars, you know, five days a week commuting. So, you know, I think that's one one area. I think, you know, the, the future office is going to look very different. And, you know, we're only starting to kind of imagine it. And I know, you know, personally here at, at Fidelity, we're very much thinking about how we reimagine that. Um, the second thing I think is practices, right? So um, again, we've had to pivot a lot of those in the last in the last few months. Um, just much more focus on, you know, the digital over necessarily having to do all of the face to face, right? And I think we still we'll probably go back to a blended balance, but I think you know we've learned a lot in terms of how you can do that effectively, how you can effectively hire, retain, onboard, and so forth. Um, you know, and I think you know really redoubling down on that culture of innovation um, in terms of, you know, how do we achieve that in a more distributed environment? And I think there's going to be lots of technology and tools that are going to come on the market. We've already seen some this year. There's a lot of experimentation going on in terms of how do you create that community in, you know, in a digital fashion, um, you know, and we're all humans. We love to go and connect. So I don't think it's going to, you know, necessarily overtake that. But, but it doesn't mean you have to all be in person all of the time. Because if you think about how you break down your day, there's certain things that you do do collectively with the team. There are certain things that are heads down. Do you really need to be, you know, fully connected or in an office to do some of the heads down stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I would say, you know, think about the impact on how it might broaden our hiring pool opportunities. And uh, so if you look at Ireland, right, um, as an example, you know, we have big headquarters, you know, in Dublin, in Galway, in Cork, in Limerick, and, you know, pretty much all around the coast, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a huge region in the Midlands with, you know, with some employers, but not a huge concentration of employers are investment. Um, you know, one of the big positive things that we saw at Fidelity during from when we hired and we significantly hired uh, since last March was access to talent that wasn't necessarily on the doorstep of our offices. So it start, it gets us thinking in terms of, you know, back to how can you get the best talent, the most diverse talent. You're now looking in places and you now have opportunities to look in places where you didn't before. And equally, people who choose to live in certain locations now have access to employment in, in, in mm. places they may never had before, right? So it's actually so open doors for people. By being online stores and you know i think just you know there's a lot been a lot of discussion around you know work hubs and you know mm. places for people to kind of support that that distributed working or the opportunity to you know to work in a huge blue chip company but live in rural ireland you know that's a that's a really appealing proposition for a lot of people um, and then we talked a little bit about digital enabled. And I think, you know, we've, mm. we've really moved night and day there, you know, yeah. because we've had to. We've had to get all the collaboration tools on board. You know, everyone is on video. There's been, you know, lots of new new entrants into the market. I think we're going to continue to see that digital evolution. There's lots of experimentation going on with, you know, particularly thinking about collaboration around, you know, maybe augmented reality as, as, as an opportunity there, um, you know, there's, I think there's a lot more to come in this space. At the moment, we've kind of worked out, you know, how to be able to see each other and how to be able to speak to each other as a team, how to be able to collaborate in a fairly rudimentary manner. But mm. I think there's a lot more to come there. And I think that, you know, that I'm, I'm really excited because I think, you know, 
eight months is a long time in an innovation cycle. So 2021, I, I'm expecting to see, you know, lots of new offerings and ideas. And again, lots of companies have, have doubled down and said, you know, we're going to have a specific part of our organization who's going to focus on that strategy and how do we bring that right, that, that, that appropriate digital tooling on board to, you know, enhance the experience of, of, of our associates in a distributed manner model. And I think finally there are opportunities for maybe greater DNI. Um, so I talked a little bit about that broadening that DNI? So diversity and inclusion, sorry. Okay. Um, so I talked a little about broadening that, that, that talent base, right? So I'm not going to kind of repeat that one. But one of the biggest changes that I've seen in the last, you know, the last eight months is that level of democracy in terms of the, the office, right? So if everyone is at home, you know, essentially your voice carries equal weight, you know. We're here today and we're kind of three squares in a Zoom window, you know, um, and, you know, essentially everyone everyone has a voice and everyone is kind of visible. And, you know, I think that's an opportunity and a learning that we should really focus on in terms of how do we continue to keep that democracy so that your voices is important, whether you're, you know, sitting in West Cork or West Galway or, you know, are actually in headquarters in Boston or Dublin or so, you know, so on. And I think that's, you know, an area that we really need to make sure we don't lose that learning because I think that's been, you know, hugely beneficial to everybody. Um, you know, and I think as leaders, we also need to think about, you know, what our work patterns are going to be over time because if everyone sees every leadership go back into headquarters, that's going to set the tone um, and, you know, and make us lose lots of the great rich opportunities that we've come upon. And I think finally then just in terms of, you know, under that focusing on greater diversity and inclusion, I think the opportunities for flexibility and flexible working have never been greater. And, you know, and I think although, you know, we read lots of the paper in terms of the challenges from, you know, working at home, it is different during a pandemic type scenario. I would think as we go to more, you know, to, to, to hopefully have more uh, than I know that everyone calls it the new normal, but back to a kind of a more normal routine where, you know, children do go to school every day. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you know, and people are focused back on, you know, their careers and work. I think just that opportunity for flexibility. And again, it's a, something that we've been learning on year on year in terms of, you know, you have to think about how do you, how do you bring that into, because careers are really long, you know, and, sometimes you lose out on opportunities because if you don't, if your process don't support that flexibility, you're not going to necessarily get that reflected in terms of, in terms, in terms of your, your employee base. Um, so I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities out there. I'm not necessarily predicting the future, but <laughs> I think just all of those things will have a bearing. And it's, it's very different from, as I say, my first day at work, um, you know, Back as, as an official certified graduate back in 1991, I went into a large open plan office. Um, you know, uh, there was a bunch of people sitting around me smoking cigarettes and cigars. <laughs> we were all we were all dressed in our in our in our suits and our skirts and our high heels and you know um, and look at how different how different the the, the office environment is today. So mm. some I people don't even dress below the table now. 
<laughs> well, that's certainly that's certainly a phenomenon in terms of distributed working, and you know, and and what's wrong with it if you're professional and you know you're capable? Um, you know, I, I I don't think that just because you put a suit on that you're more competent than you know somebody who's wearing something that they're comfortable in. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, once it doesn't alarm anyone, I think it's, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Well, I've got to say, this has been a very encouraging and uplifting conversation. Um, some amazing points that you've raised about, you know, future or hopeful future um, leading for women to, and children and young ladies going into, um, into STEM or STEAM or technology in general. So, you know, fascinating topic. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today, Lorna. It's been an absolute pleasure, Melanie. And, uh, you know, I think I'm really optimistic about the future, but I think we all have a part to play in ensuring that it's the best possible future. So mm. thank you so much for your time today. Well, that's all for now. Um, do catch us up on the next podcast. Ensure you subscribe. We're going to get some amazing people every single week.